In today's episode, we're speaking to Sarah McElroy, who is a former hustle culture devotee, ex-chief marketing officer, the Wall Street Journal's poster girl for pandemic career burnout, and a two-time member of the Great Resignation class of 2021 and 2022. Let's speak to Sarah, find out how she changed her career and went back into journalism um, after having a burnout in the corporate world. Let's speak to Sarah, find out how she changed her life by changing her mindset. Let's find out. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money mindset expert. And today I'm so excited. We have Sarah McElroy. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much, Gul. Great to be here. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today, Sarah. Sarah, everyone's heard your interest, so they know how fabulous you are. But please, in your own words, tell everybody what it is that you do. Yes. Well, I am a former chief marketing officer and ex-hustle culture devotee, and I was inspired to return to my journalism roots after becoming a two-time member of the Great Resignation and the Wall Street Journal's poster girl for pandemic burnout, all within a span of nine months. Now, on the back of these two career failures, quote unquote, I was reeling and wondering what are other women experiencing? What are the breaking points and defining moments that are leading them to seek greater opportunity in the wake of the pandemic as well? And so I founded Race to Rise, which is both a journalism project and movement amplifying the powerful voices and stories from women of the great resignation. Wow. Okay. So we, we I think this is something that we need to discuss a bit further. So talk us through this. What happened, Sarah? You know, that sounds, that sounds horrific, actually. So talk us through. Yes. You know, it's been a really crazy journey and very unexpected because I was always that corporate good girl. It was like, I have that playbook of a, of how to achieve success and that perfect corporate career life. And I did all the things. I became a CMO by the age of 35, which I was super proud of. And I never rocked the boat. I always was willing to work harder than anyone else. I was so proud of my ability to just turn into a machine. Mm. But once I got to the top and was in that C-level role looking around me, and I'm more hollow and unhappy than I've ever been, it was like, Mm. oh my God, I think I've built a house of cards. And to, to provide a little more context, it was in 2020 that I landed in this CMO role. At the time, I was also finishing up an executive MBA program. And so between the two, both work and school, I'm trying to keep all of the plates spinning. I start working up to 20 hours a day between the two. Now, in particular, Ooh. I'm doing this because, yeah, it was just like, it was so, it was so unsustainable. It wasn't every well, Did you have day, any family but... life? Did you have any personal life in there? No. No, I did not. Absolutely not. Right. Like at that point, you're just, you are totally just a one trick pony because there is like mathematically, right. (laughs) With 24 hours in a day, there is no way you can squeeze in anymore. And so my life had become just, well, I kind of look at it. Like I really bought into the lie that is hustle culture because of that time in my life, because it was like, 
I have to justify this one noted, very sad, if I'm honest, very sad existence somehow. And where would I find that? Like, let's worship at the mantle of hustle culture, because that is like, grind, go a little more work, do it, you'll get there, right? Like that is what I, it tells us to do. I think it's, I think sad because I think you're from the same generation. I mean, we grew up together, uh, you know, probably different opposite ends of the pond, but the similar culture where you work the hardest who can work the hardest in schools as well you how can who can how outwork and i what you're saying really resonates with me because i remember i was the most hardest working person i ever knew i i you know and i was dyslexic so i thought that's that was the norm that's how everybody did it yeah and now looking back in hindsight yeah i'm very proud of the fact that i learned how to work hard but that's not life that's just it that's that sounds like a horror what you're describing to me because I mean I'm a mother of uh, two kids that sounds like a horror story like me not having any time for my kids and you know for cuddles or for watching movies randomly yeah. or, you know what with Netflix and Netflix every now and again that would be horrific so how did you how yeah. did you did you even recognize when you were going through this that this is I'm a machine well so funny you asked that because when I go back to even high school this is something that is deeply ingrained and it's been really powerful over the last couple of years to have to raise a mirror up to Sarah and say, what is this all about? Like, why are we doing this? And it was, it was one thing when it was working, right? Like when you're climbing the ladder, you're doing all the things, earning the MBA, it looks so beautiful on paper, like perfect resume. But when it's starting to break, that's when you have to raise raise that mirror and really start to ask, where is this coming from and what do I need to change? And so for me, if I go back to high school, even I was valedictorian of the class and actually even became valedictorian even after having a virus that I went on a volunteer trip to Mexico the summer before my senior year and contracted what they think is a virus, like a mystery illness. And I was in a wheelchair for like two months of my Uh, the beginning of my senior year, and I still graduated as valedictorian. And my friends used to joke that I was a robot and I would plug into the wall at night to recharge. I wasn't even a human. So I haven't really known what it's like to to be a real human until the last two years when the good girl facade that always worked for the longest period of time is like first cracking and then really shattering with my second great resignation. And all of a sudden it's like, I need to meet and understand and appreciate the human that is Sarah underneath because she mm-hmm. has so much more to give and more impact to make in this world than just being you know, a lemming following the, yeah. the corporate good girl playbook. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, as you're saying, I'm getting, I'm getting goosebumps because I'm getting, uh, that resonates with me, with me so much. One of the main reasons why I chose when I was at the, uh, when I, uh, literally I was stuck um, and I had to go back to work because it was got my second divorce and I hadn't been out of employment for about good nine years at that point. Uh, and I remember it was two choices. I go back into corporate uh, corporate law and being a banking finance lawyer. I remember I did 80, 90 hours a week and I knew because I was, I'd been out the game for so long, I would be starting from the bottom and I would have to do 80, 90 hours. Actually, even yeah. senior people do quite quite long hours. I remember my seniors did longer hours than I did. And I had that back in my mind too, that I was doing 80, 90 hours when I was a junior lawyer and my seniors were doing longer. They were actually staying in. I would go home at 12 o'clock at night. They were sleeping in the offices at times. Wow. And, and I'm and I remember thinking I don't want that I don't want my children because I thought well, they they're not seeing the father apart from weekends every now and again I don't want my children to grow up with a mother and a father I don't want them to just know nannies 
that was my primary choice for actually letting go of my legal claim against my father's, my brother's better, better judgment. Actually, they thought I was crazy. And I thought, well, I want to make it or lose it. I'm going to do something else. And I, I, and I went into the online space, but that really resonates with me because if I, but I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's one of those things, Sarah, that unless you are taken out of that space and you have some time to think about something or some, or you have some other motivation, like I do with my children, had I not had my children and there was no other reason for me not to go into that world right. again, if that's all I've known, I would have gone back in and I would be on the hamster wheel again and doing whatever somebody else tells me because I need to get the next promotion, the next accolade, the next name and name tag and the next whatever. And yes, I was making a lot of money, money, but I make more money now in my online business than I do my profession. But you know, money is not the only way. You can make money from other from other by other means as well. It's that external validation. I'm good. I'm great because I've got this level. I'm this promotion. I think that's what you and I are both after. And then I think, and whereas with me, I had an alter, alternative um, route. And I remember even uh, now when I'm talking to you, I remember the time when I was home and I was staying at home, home, there was a part of me that was really, really sad because I felt worthless as I was just a mom. Um because I wasn't going out and being that productive, I wasn't doing things. I, and hence, I, you know, when I was home, I was spending a lot of hours. Stuff, I did a lot of self study and learned a lot of modalities, which worked for me. But because I, I could never just sit and not do anything, I had to make sure I was busy, being productive, learning something. Otherwise, I was not good enough. Does that make sense? My right. my sense of worth came from doing, being, achieving something, which seems to be the case with you. Completely. Oh, I completely agree. It's. It is the most difficult thing to face when the thing that worked so well for you was really born out of self-objectification. And yeah. they've, they've studied Arthur C. Brooks has an awesome art- article, if anyone's interested, on self-objectification at worst mm-hmm. and talks about how it is one thing for the economic system to commoditize us and to look at us as cogs in the wheel, Mm -hmm. but it is a far more damaging act for us to actually objectify ourselves and to hinge our self-worth. Like it's, you know, it's an abacus and like we're counting self-worth beads all day long or throughout our lives, like to, to set ourselves up so that our self-worth hinges on our, our productivity is so damaging, right? Because you're never able to keep up. It becomes never enough. And even when, and that was, I think, a really interesting thing to realize too, is that you would think, or I would think like, okay, when I get to that, that, that level and I get that C title and I see it in my email signature, oh my God, that's going to be it. And then you type it in there and it's like, there's not even really a dopamine hit anymore, right? Like it is, it doesn't even feel the way that you thought it was going to feel. And it's just so mind blowing and really frightening at that point in time. Cause you're like, oh no, if this doesn't work, what am I going to do? Well, and I appreciate what you said about the divorce piece of things too, because that was part of my experience too. So Mm -hmm. in 2014, I went through a divorce, but preceding that it was a really horrific time. I, I was assaulted and in and out of the hospital for a few months in 2012. And then the following year, that's really when my marriage devolved as my mental health was a mess. I was dealing with, um, with back problems from a spinal fusion I'd had in 2010. So it was just this like in like insane run of pretty terrible events. 
And then as part of the fallout of like my marriage is crumbling, I'm already a mess inside because I'm still healing from all of the PTSD. I end up getting fired from a job and I I end up even estranged from my family after that too. So it is like my entire world has just evaporated overnight. And at that point it became, because if I'm truly honest, that was like rock bottom kind of moment. It was like, I don't even know why I'm here or doing anything anymore, but if I have to be here, what is the one thing that I can do to make myself feel better? And it was the thing that always made me feel good and made me feel valuable as a kid. And it was like, okay, yes, I've been fired, but I can do this. I can dust this off. And so career became a life preserver for me. And I held on to that for dear life. And we're talking literal life preserver because there were, there were a couple moments in there where it wasn't looking so bright. So it's like, it's a hard thing with, with any of these things, right? Like any of our escapism tools, because that's what workaholism or overworking is. It's an escapism tool, just as much as substance or social media, uh, you know, mind numbing scrolling or shopping or any of those things. But it's really hard for anyone to have to face the thing that was the coping mechanism, the tool for escapism and have to be like, oh, this is actually really harmful, even though the one that I've chosen or really, you know, invested in is seen as virtuous. It is a good thing in our society to have a work ethic and Mm. to be seen as having the perfect on paper, perfect on resume life. But if it is breaking us inside, it becomes, what is this worth? This isn't, this isn't living. This isn't being a human. No. And and from when I was listening to you and I was turning into your energy, it seems like the universe was giving you signals to slow down. I was going to interject and ask you the question. Do you feel that when that happened in 2010, 2012, 2014, eventually you broke down your marriage? Do you think that was a signal from the universe, a sign from the universe? Like, slow down, Sarah. What are you doing this for? Who for? What do you want out of it? What exactly yeah. is it that you want? Because you've grown up all your life being told, go and get this, do this, do that, get this and get that. But for why? You know, what's the reason behind it? What's the logic behind it? What are you trying to achieve? Um, You yeah. know, I, I, I talk about money all the time. I think, you know, money is great. But, you know, a job is not the only way to get money. And why why do you need money? It depends on you know what do you want to do with the money? Do you want right. to travel? Then you can you don't need to need much money. You can just you know work as you go along, or you can um, have a side business or whatever else. You know you have to have an understanding of whatever you're doing. There has to be a reason behind it, and maybe the universe right. was, was trying to wake you up. But you instead of listening to those signs and listening to intuition, you went deeper into the rabbit hole and. And worked even harder because that's the only thing you knew how was whenever something was wrong, okay, work harder. And, you know, yep. so if you're not getting grades, get, work harder. Um, things are not working out, work harder. I mean, that's I mean, I'm the reason I'm sharing this with you because that's that's what comes to my mind. When sure. I was growing up, if some things don't work my way, that I mean, it just meant I had to work harder. I had to hustle harder, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think for me, actually, what, what had happened is that on the other side of high school and college, I work. I still worked really hard in, in college too. I was doing an internship for uh, a national ice cream brand here in the States, which was amazing. And I even graduated a semester early. But when I got into working, I... I ended up in my, in my relationship that became my marriage in, I guess it was, it would have been 2008. 
And I think there was something that that relationship was healing from the standpoint of I was no longer running from all the shame that Sarah thought like, or that was fueling the Sarah in high school. I have a lot of shame from childhood trauma and things like that. So I think that relationship was a stabilizer for a period of time. But the problem was gold, that it was an external stabilizer. It was not that I, Sarah felt better about myself or I found myself inherently worthy. It was that I found a relationship and a marriage with a with a partner who for a, a period of time or a good period of time was really supportive and loving. And it was enough to fill that cup that I was not working as crazy hard during that time. But then on the other side, once everything else is gone and I have nothing, no relationships to show the world, right? Like, cause in part, that's what Sarah's mindset was is like, what is the perspective you're showing to the world? It's not how I am now, but it was, it, it was a subconscious thing. It wasn't like I'm sitting around, you know, thinking about how I can create this perfect life, but in the, in a subconscious way, I didn't have anything to show for who I was anymore to prove to the world that I had any value. So it was like, oh, well, we're going to get back into robot mode, Sarah from high school, because it, for me, it felt like that shame was still chasing me. And it was like, that shame was proven. You, you, you're getting a divorce because your, you know, your ex can't be around for you, all these struggles that are coming out of both the childhood trauma and the assault and all of that. So it just, for me, it was like validation of the fact that I thought I was broken and had uh, incurable shame of sorts. So it was like, okay, let's work harder. Let's show the world that you are worth something. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. So the slowdown though, I think it was universal signs pointing to like real healing that needed to happen. It was like, mm -hmm. Sarah, you're going to have to find this within yourself. You're never going to find the love, validation, self-worth, anything like that outside if through external, you know, sources or validation, you need to find that. And so everything was stripped away. And then the one thing that I chose to keep me going then was becomes that? weaponized essentially against me. And then at that point, it was like very much the universe is like continuing to send messages by way to get me to slow down. But no, it's been a crazy journey. And it's like, it's one of those things where I don't even think when I had my second great resignation back in January, I had such little awareness around a lot of these things. I knew there was self-worth tied up in, uh, the, in what I'd been doing and things like that. But part of also being out of corporate and detoxing from the churn and burn and hustle culture and all of that has been that I have had to face all of these, you know, demons head on. And it's been a lot of healing that's had to happen in the midst of talking to other women, hearing their stories and what they've been going through. And so it's been this just like unbelievable alchemical experience of both entrepreneurship, but also healing in addition to hopefully building a movement that inspires others to, to do what is right for them and to find fulfilling careers that are based on their personal truth and their deep inherent value rather mm -hmm. than the way the external system has been taught to us. And I, I want to touch on something that really struck a chord with me. It, you mentioned childhood trauma 
and a way for you to deal with that trauma and to gain validation of who you are because you want to suppress shame is through working hard. Now that also resonates with me because I've had I've had childhood traumas as well. And I remember, you know, the again it went back to I'm not good enough um unless I'm doing X, Y, and Z and being yeah. the top student and whatever it's else. Conditional, right? Yeah. There's an asterisk on on the love. Yeah. And that seems to happen. I, mean, I don't think my mother did it intentionally. I don't think she did it at all. But I took that on board that in order for me to receive love and my mom to be proud of me and for us to not have this shame around us, I have to work really, really hard. And that's yes. what I did, which has worked really, really hard. Um, and um, I I was, I would say I was fortunate enough to, I, was, I had a break, but I had other traumas to go afterwards. But um, working hard has not... Um, I don't, you know, it's not on the agenda anymore for me, but because I have other priorities. But you Definitely. have not listened to the the, the messages that have been coming along. If anything, you've gone once the the major event happened in 2014, you went even more into work. So okay. how how what happened recently? What allowed you to break free? Yes. Well, as with <laughs> many cages, to be able to break them, it can take really chaotic painful experiences yes. to shatter the the bars right yes. and to to really free yourself it, it's not a gentle process oftentimes when we face these like uh kind of like phoenix rising burning uh, through the ashes moments and that's a bit of why i called even i i don't even think so i named raise to rise as raise r-a-z-e like burn it down to build it back up bigger and stronger and i knew there was something to to that when intuitively that was kind of what came to me as the name for it but i just didn't have the conscious awareness of how much it reflected my own journey but what really happened is that as i was working those 20 hours in that cmo role and uh i was trying to prove myself i was the youngest member of the executive team and i at times, at best, I was treated as the kid's sister. At worst, at, it was a really toxic environment of manipulation and gaslighting and, you know, people even like lying and stabbing each other in the back. It was not like nothing I'd ever experienced. And I was mm -hmm. surrounded by all these women and I thought they would be so supportive, which is a, not, a whole other thing. Like we could do a whole other episode on that. But it just was so crazy that I didn't want to show weakness. It was like, I can't expose my soft underbelly to them. So I just have to keep the, you know, the wheels going and keep showing up in such a way that is proving to them I can do this job and do the school program at the same time. And that's when it's, you know, my body is starting to rebel and trying to get my attention. I had the two episodes of throwing up blood that landed me in the emergency room. And then a few months later in April, 2021, that's when I got shingles and the shingles, especially, I mean, I, of course, you know, right. Like throwing up blood and having to go to the ER and all of that is, is not a good thing, but it was just like for me and my sort of my programmed mind that was like at that point almost just running ones and zeros like does not compute there's no time <laughs> there's no time to have a, an illness so we're not going to really deal with it that much although after the second episode i did get an endoscopy and the doctor found lesions in my esophagus that he uh chalked up to being related to stress induced you know acid production but it was just I had to just keep going then. So then shingles happens and I'm in the doctor's office and the doctor tells me that I have, you know, shingles. And I have this moment of such great 
relief and I'm overjoyed because I am being given a socially acceptable reason to take 10 days off with a doctor's note and nobody at work can say anything. I'm not having to raise my hand and be like, I, I can't cut it. I'm raising the white flag. You know, there's a socially acceptable reason. And it was almost like, look how much I am doing for this organization. Look how much of my body I am pouring into this to make this place successful. They were also a culture of never enough. So like from a universal standpoint and sort of repeating patterns, yeah. like very much that was going to be the place that breaks me, right? Because if I think I'm never enough and then I put myself in an organization that also is telling me every single day that no matter how much I give, it's never enough, like that was going to be it. But so as I, I'm leaving the doctor's office and I am feeling that relief and I'm like, oh my God, it's, this is such a gift, this space and this break. I also, you know, I have so much version or compassion for that version of Sarah because I also did wake up and it was like, okay, this is not a normal response to uh, being told you have an illness that could result in at its worst paralysis or blindness. And, and thank God, nothing uh, like that came of it for me, but it was like, I really, at that point was like, I'm going to grab <laughs> whatever the wounded part of Sarah that is doing this and like hold her and hug her and tell her it's going to be okay. And be like, we're not going to do this anymore. This is unsustainable. This perfect on paper life is not worth it. So I quit. I decided I was going to hit the life reset button entirely. I found a new job in Florida. I, in between the two jobs, I went down to Peru and I explored holistic healing modalities and was like, I'm going to reset my freight nervous system. And I come down here and I cut back on overworking. I am hitting the yoga mat. I'm doing meditating. I found this tiny little home overlooking the intercoastal. So like, I'm going to be Sarah, the Zen now, not Sarah, the overworker, Sarah, the, the Zen. And I'm going to prioritize joy every day. And for a while, the change of scenery and the slower pace of life in this little beach town here in Florida did make a difference, but it was like my burnout wasn't completely healing and I couldn't figure out why. Now, in between that time, that's when the Wall Street Journal found my story and I did an interview for them in a podcast. And you listen to the end of the podcast and it sounds like, you know, Sarah found her little idyllic slice of paradise and, and greater peace living on the water. And that was so true. And at the same time, I had this nascently healing burnout wound and it wasn't overworking that was causing it not to completely heal. It was walking into a toxic culture where I was dealing with sexually harassing comments that weren't addressed for months. Mm -hmm. So go to your point of like the universe, like the universe has shaken me a lot of times in my life to be like, we need to heal things or figure things out or like, you know, so many signs along the way, but I never was able to listen until this last one where it's, took months. One of the comments was even overheard by HR. They finally did an investigation in January, but it was in, in my opinion, such a performative farce. There were no, there was no accountability for the person or new outcomes that I hung up the phone with HR. She gave me a four minute readout, uh, even though she put an hour on my calendar to tell me the investigation findings, four minute readout. And it was 10 bullet points and it looked like it had just been run through legal. And that was like really all she was able to say. And it was a lot of boilerplate in there anyway of like, we have a professional and respectful working environment and an open door policy. And I know you know this, but you can't speak about this. You need to keep this confidential from other employees. And when I get that back and I've submitted over 3000 words of documentation detailing four months of missteps by the company, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. 
So I later that night, I drafted this blistering anti-harassment resignation letter. Yeah, power of women's voices, because at that point, I'm pissed off, not just for myself, but even for the women in the organization having to deal with this, uh, this scenario and this person who's caused issues for others as well. And I took my laptop into the office the next morning and I'm, I'm shaking, right? Cause this is, I'm still a good girl, Sarah. I'm like a, a, a quickly shattering version of good girl, Sarah, but I'm shaking as I have my hand over the send button on the letter, but I hit send and I send it to my boss and HR and the CEO. And I walk out the door and I don't even give two, two weeks notice. So like the good girl version of Sarah that cracked open a bit from the shingles diagnosis was broken wide open with this second scenario. And it was just like on the other side, I'm reeling and like, what now? But I, I think I can't be the only one who's experiencing this with millions of other women also wanting to quit jobs right now or walking out with the great resignation. And so that's what inspired me to pursue Raise Her Eyes. So yeah, speaking of, I loved at the beginning, you mentioned Hero's Journey because it has felt like an epic and <laughs> a very, very much a nod to Joseph Campbell and his, uh, his beautiful model for sure. My goodness, what a journey you've had. And I think we need to speak to you a bit further to get insights to see how we can learn from your experience. Because I, I agree with you. Um, and I, I think this is so, um, you know, such an appropriate uh, topic to discuss on this podcast because most of the people who listen to this podcast are either a former corporate background or are currently in a background. Um, and they are looking to transition over. And one of the incentives or one of the reasons or motives for them to transition over is because of this this hustle culture or this totally. toxic culture. A lot of the corporate cultures, I don't know how they're changing because I left the corporate world a long time ago. But, you know, when I was in the, there, there was a lot of toxicity. There's a lot of toxic culture. And I personally never experienced sexual harassment, but then I had to, I used to wear the scarf. So I used to wear the hijab. And um, when I worked uh, with that, I think that limited my promotion and my, um, uh, you sure. know, there's, there, the other things that the, obviously there's the, the unspoken racism that's there yeah. and, and, and uh, um, uh, so forth. But what I didn't suffer was uh, sexual harassment or any kind of thing. I did have, I did overhear um, some, you know, uh, rude jokes, jokes, but I remember most senior partners would see me, they would just sort of, you know, hush up. Um, and that's, I think, out of respect for the thing Muslim women for for all I know. Mm. So I, I'm in the in the Western world. So in one way, I was protected from that kind of culture because of my hijab. On the other hand, it stopped my promotions because I think I could have promoted, gotten a lot further in my career had I not worn the hijab. Sure. But it works both yeah. ways. But for sure, I think this is a, a, a topic that's worth discussing. But for now, let's wrap this up. So tell us, Sarah, how can we connect with you? How can you find the internet? Yes. You can find the website for Raise to Rise at raisetorise.com. And again, that's R-A-Z-E as uh, the first word in there. And I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram as Sarah J. McElroy. And I'm more than happy to connect with anyone. It has been far more rewarding than anything I've ever done in my corporate career. And my deepest honor to hear people's stories and to talk about all of this because I believe it's a rising tide lifts all boats. And the more that we elevate this conversation, the better off we'll all be. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Fantastic. So if you're listening to us on the podcast, and remember the link that Sarah just mentioned will be in the show notes. And if you're watching us on YouTube, down below in the description section, once again, you have all the links to uh, that Sarah just mentioned. Do check her out. And if you are in a currently in a corporate environment or your former ex-corporate, uh, ex-corporate employee and they have a similar story that you want to share, do reach out to Sarah 
And you never know what may become of that conversation. Well, for now, thank you so much, Sarah, for being such an amazing guest and being so open and vulnerable with us on today's episode. It's been one of my favorite ones actually to talk about because I can really relate, even though I, I left the corporate world a while ago, I can really understand how one can get trapped in there and uh, and the repercussions uh, because of it. But thank you so much. Well, we'll see you in Money Talkies, but thank you so much for today. Thank you so much, Gal. Wonderful to be here. And thank you for listening to me and Sarah today on, on Friday Feature. I will be back with another amazing guest on another Friday Feature, finding out how you and I can learn from their experience and how they change their life by changing their mindset. Until the next time, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website, www.gulkhan.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop. And if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money, then go and get my book, Laws of Money, from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.